Now, we're in a series, that series is on Joshua, and this is a subtitle that was given to it, Sovereign Crossings. And so today, in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways, we're going to reach really of the first of one of the peaks of the book of Joshua. Some would even consider it to be the climax of the book, and I'm not willing to quite go that far. Um, however, it is a, a, an important part of the book as a whole for us to understand. And not just what it was in this day and age for this group of people as Joshua was recalling the events and then giving them to someone who would put them down uh, uh, for us here, but this is um, for us today as well. See, there is a Jordan that we all must cross. There is something that is in front of us that ultimately is a test of faith for us. Will we choose to trust the Lord and step out in obedience first before it looks as though things have calmed down? Or are we going to wait we're going to wait for things to get to be just like we want them, and then we will consider stepping out and walking in obedience. This is a challenging section of the Scriptures, and yet things like this are told over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures. Think back in your minds how many times it is that God asked his people to trust him by first stepping out in faith before they could see the results. In this series, we've said a couple of different things. We've used a quote every week from Aristotle, we make war that we may live in peace. The kingdom of God, according to Randy Pope, is the reign of Christ the King and the lives of his kingdom people, which grows extensively, that is broader, and intensively, that is deeper in nature. We said this, that really the purpose of the book of Joshua, it's a, it is a divine call to God's people to rest in the fact that God grows his kingdom through his people. That kingdom grows, again, both extensively, it grows broader in nature throughout as more and more people make a profession of faith and transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and it also grows intensively or it grows deeper in terms uh, in every person as more and more of our lives are surrendered over to the control of, uh, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Week one, we said courage comes from within. I'm sorry, courage that comes from within gives way to fear, but courage from above leads to faith. Week two, God's people do not need more leaders, but God's people do need more leaders worth following. And then finally, last week, we said this, questions come by observing, faith comes by hearing. And the outline that we put forward in the book of Joshua, we're still in that second section here. We'll close it out today. Next week, uh, Todd will take us into uh, the land. Actually, he's going to take us in sermon while Joshua's taking the people into the land. I didn't mean to say that, but it's right here. Can I ask you a question? How often have you asked this question of God? God, are you on my side on this one? I think oftentimes we come before the Lord and we ask the Lord if he is on our side as it pertains to any given issue um, or any realm of, of life that we may be in. Early in my life when I was just starting to coach and really growing in my faith, I would ask that question all the time of God. God, are you on our side or are you on their side? Who do you determine who wins the game, Lord? 
business competition that we have? Are you on our side or are you on their side? As you're trying to make sales and others are making them, you find yourself asking that question, Lord, are you with us or not in this? In legislation that gets put forward. God, are you on our side of this or are you on their side of this? We would ask it of a political party in general. Are you with us or are you with them? We may ask it in a simple debate, whether that debate is a formal one that is set up or whether that's one just with neighbors, coworkers, et cetera, that we may have. Friendly debate I'm referring to here. Not necessarily even the heated debate that we all might get into. When we're younger in life and we have a breakup with a girlfriend, may I ask, Lord, are you on my side or her side? As we get older, the stakes get higher in a divorce. Lord, are you on my side or their side? We oftentimes ask the question, are you on our side in this? Now hear me, that is not a bad question to ask. It's not an evil question to ask. It's not that we should never ask this question. I think it's a good question to ask from time to time. I think the better question, however, to ask is this, God, are we on your side? As it pertains to this issue, as it pertains to this event, as it pertains to this legislation, as it pertains to the way we go about our business, the way we go about sales, God, are we on your side? Are we representing you well in this? See, I'm convinced that many things in life, not all, many things in life, God is far more interested in how we go about it than what actually gets done. Who do you think God is for? Is he for the Chiefs or the Ravens? In the grand scheme of things, I don't think he cares. What he cares is how are his people playing the game? Are they doing it with character, with integrity? Are they doing it respectfully? Are they giving all that they have to give? Are they being faithful to their organization, to those that are paying for them to to do this? Are, Are they treating the fans with dignity and respect? I don't think the outcome of the game is so important to God as much as it is the way that we go about trying to get a certain outcome. In business, the same would apply. How is it that we're treating those that we work around, those that are above us, those that are beneath us? How is it that we are representing the companies that we are a part of that are so gracious to give us a salary so that we might make ends meet as it pertains to legislation? Sometimes, I'm not sure God's all that concerned about which particular approach is taken. But how do we go about treating those that we may disagree with? How are God's people representing him? The question we ought to be asking is, God, are we on your side? Now, don't go down this road too far. I I am convinced there are some things that we clearly um, don't have to ask uh, that question because the side of God is so obvious and so apparent. This church for years has supported Jamie Brown at a women's pregnancy center. And when it comes to life, we're on God's side. We don't have to worry about that one. Yep, we still want to go about it the right way and treating people with dignity and honor and respect, even those who have an opposing view. Um, But but we're we're on God's side on that. There are plenty of things in life that are so crystal clear, but I think it's less 
than we would assume that it is. The most important question we could ask, the best question is, God, are we on your side? Now, we've got chapters three through five to uh, get to today, and rather than reading the entirety of all those chapters, we've chosen some selections within these chapters that I'm going to read in succession. It'll be up on the screen if you're physically able. Uh, would you stand in honor of God's word? If you're not physically able, if it comes too exhausting, go ahead, sit down, and you will not be disrespectful in any way, shape, or form. Joshua 3, we'll go from verses uh, 1 to 6, and then we'll bounce around through the rest of uh, the two chapters. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Going down to verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters come down from above, stood above, uh, and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerathen, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here and out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Go down to verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of the Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us when we passed over, so that the peoples, all the peoples of the earth, may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, 
make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth Harloth. Go down to verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the army of the Lord's army said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You may be seated. Now, the first 13 verses of chapter 3. Joshua tells them once again to prepare. It's about them preparing to go in. Now, they're getting ready again to cross over. And so while they had been slaves previously in Egypt, 40 years previous to this, they did not know how to fight. They did not know how to do a whole lot of things. They knew how to be enslaved, but they didn't really know how to live in freedom and in faith. And so now they've got the Jordan River. And so the Jordan, it flows from north to south. And so they're getting ready to cross over from the west side. I'm sorry, from the east side to the west side. They're getting ready to move and to go over into the land that God had promised them beforehand. And so Joshua once again tells them to get prepared for what's about to take place. Now, for the first time, we see that the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned, the first time in the book of Joshua. Why is the Ark of the Covenant important? Because this is the place where the, where the presence of God was dwelling with the people as they move forward. There was nothing magical about this box. It was what was present, and that is God's presence. And God asked them to put a couple of different things in there. It was the most holy physical possession of Israel since it symbolized the glory of God, his very presence in there. It contained three things. It contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It contained Aaron, who was the high priest. It contained his rod, and it contained some of the manna. It was a jar of it that was placed in there. And all of these things were to be reminders to the people that God was faithful and he was going to be faithful to each and every generation just as he promised. The presence, though, of this ark indicates that this is not just a physical overtaking of a land. It indicates that what's, this is really is the spiritual taking. And I want you to notice this. You're going to see this next week as well when we get into the battle of Jericho. But notice who the first people are to make their way into battle. It's the priests with the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. Hear me. It's the worshipers. 
It's those who were worshiping God. They were the ones who were called first and foremost to make their way into something that would set the pace for the people of God. It was not a good idea for the warriors to try to get ahead of the worshipers. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, with the best of intentions, made plans that made sense to you? It was a great way to attack. It was a great way to move forward again in business or whatever it may be in life that you're called to. You have a really good plan. It's strategic. It's laid out. And then along the way, you ask God, oh, and by the way, would you bless this? Rather than sitting back saying, Lord, we got a whole bunch of stuff here, and I'm not sure that I know the best way forward. But would you guide and would you lead and would you direct? Would you guide and lead and direct us as a family? Because we cannot figure out a way forward. Would you help us in our marriage? Because we keep doing this and we cannot figure out a way forward. Would you help with my neighbors? They tend to think that they own more property than I think that they do. And God, I cannot figure out a way to talk to them in a way that's productive. Would you help us, help us see a way forward? God, I cannot, absolutely cannot figure out how to work these algebra problems. Would you show me a way forward? You fill in the blank with whatever it is. How often do we pause just for a moment? And listen, it's not the length of our prayer that matters. It's not that we're going to set aside seven days. Nothing wrong with setting aside seven days to fast and pray. It's just the fact that our hearts are in a position that says, God, I desperately need you to guide and to lead. So the worshipers lead the way before the warriors take over. Verse 4, he says, so that you may know the way. Then look down at verse 10. Notice that he's contrasting the living God with the false God. Here's where I think these two concepts of the kingdom that is growing both deeper and broader come together in this passage. Joshua is looking out and he's telling the people, we need to follow the presence of the Lord because we have not gone this way before. Lord, I cannot overcome my alcohol addiction. And while I'm not a sloppy drunk, while I don't get completely tanked every day, I just tend to rely upon it too much. I'm relying upon it to take the edge off rather than coming to you. And so God, I cannot figure out how to overcome this. I don't know the way. The way of the Lord is not about a way of walking. It was not about a particular path in, in terms of the physical light. The way of the Lord all throughout the scriptures is referred to over and over again about the direction of our lives, the orientation of our lives, walking in a path that is Godward in nature. It is a passionate pursuit of the person of God. Joshua in here is saying, notice that God is calling, we don't know the way. God will show you the way. You don't know how to overcome sin in your life? Join the club. God knows the way. Down in verse 10, he's contrasting these false gods that are not living. They are dead. They are powerless. 
the people who are worshiping these other gods in these other lands are actually enslaved in the process, hoping that somehow out of these little wood and iron and bronze, etc., that these things will somehow other provide direction for them, power for them. Joshua is looking in, and I think what's going on, I think what the scriptures want us to see is that the, on one level, God is going to eradicate, he's going to show himself more powerful than all of these people. But he's going to offer them the opportunity to turn, to embrace. You remember Rahab? Rahab is a great example of what's going to happen as a person hears, they believe, and then they're going to hand over the controls. Church, how do we view those that are occupying the land in Tallahassee? Do we view them as those that are captured enslaved by false gods, looking to fame and fortune, looking to money, looking to relationships, looking to something, these things that which could be good enough of themselves, but they would be terrible gods. How do we view the people that just can't seem to get out of their own way? Are they the enemy? Or is the enemy the enemy? I think we ought to fight for them. And verses 14 through 17 is where is the passing. And I want to say this, the point is not so much that they passed from one side to the other. I think the point is in here how they went about passing. We already said the ark went in before. Waters are going to stop upstream. They're going to pile up without coming down. There's going to be dry ground. There's going to be large numbers of people in a short amount of time that are going to make their way across this particular thing. But God does it in a miraculous way in the same way that he parted the Red Sea, in the same way that he took the ancestors before into dry ground across there. He is faithful to this group of people. So what happens is you got the the, the folks that go upstream and they put the the ark in there. And and Joshua says, as soon as you see them put their foot into the water, that's when God is going to move. Now, how would you like to have been one of the priests? Hey, here's your job. Carry this thing. So you're not going to have your hands for balance. Carry this thing and just trust in the flood seasons that you're going to step into the water and that God is going to stop the water upstream. No, we haven't seen that before. Our, our ancestors saw that. We haven't seen that. We've heard about it. But yet there's water that comes down every day and in this season comes down in mass quantities. Just go ahead, step in and trust that God is going to stop the water. That's absurd. I I don't know what is absurd in your life right now that God is saying, trust me in this. But no matter how absurd it sounds, the arm of the Lord is not too short. So they go and they they step foot in it and then the water, it says it, it says it begins to pile up. It keeps running this direction and it keeps running so much so that it becomes dry ground on there. But the water is just, I would have loved to have seen that picture. I'm not lying. That would be cool. Yes, I understand Jesus when he says, you guys look for signs and miracles. You're infatuated with that. I, I would be infatuated with that. Show me water standing right here, flowing down this direction, not boiling up in it like a dam. How does it all of a sudden just stop while water continues? I don't know. It's God. How does he change the hearts of people? I don't know. It's God. How do drunks become sober? God. How do those with serious anger problems become compassionate? 
God, how do addicts whom everyone has given up on become productive citizens? God, The waters only stopped, though, after they stepped in and trusted that the floodwaters would not overwhelm them. They had to trust that God would not abandon them, even though the river was far more than they could have personally handled. Former British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli said this, the world was never conquered by intrigue. It was conquered by faith. Folks, we all, again, have a Jordan that we are called to cross. And whatever it is in your life personally that you have that you just can't seem to get beyond, I am confident you're not going to experience the power of God as he gives you the ability to overcome. You're not going to experience that until you first step out in obedience and trust. Don't wait for God to show you the way. Step out in obedience first, and then God will open up a way. Step out in faith when it comes to fighting against fear for the expansion of the kingdom of God, meaning broadly, not just in your own personal life. Step out in faith and ask that God would give you The power, just ask somebody about their faith. Ask them what role faith has played in their life. And trust that those who God is stirring in, he's going to bring them to it. Then you're just going to have a conversation. You're going to be able to share about your faith. You're going to hear about their faith. Trust that God is going to open up a way if you are faithful to do it. Chapter 4. In chapter 4, there are 12 representatives, one from every tribe that's going to take part in the effort to remember. Man, this one has hit me like a ton of bricks this particular week. As I've been thinking about this in my own life, there have been several things throughout the years that I've had as tokens of reminders. As Joshua told the, the, the people there, go and one from every tribe, come and get a stone. And then we're going to put this into, into a place where folks can see it and then generations will be able to ask, hey, why do we have these rocks that are, that are sticking around? And then you're going to be able to tell them the story of God's faithfulness. I wonder what it would look like for us in a church to have a remembrance. I wonder what tangible reminders that we would have of God's faithfulness to us on a consistent basis. Several years ago, I used to carry with me, it was the bottle top to a St. Pauli girl beer. It was the last beer that I had had for a decade. And I kept it in my pocket. And it was a reminder of what I was like without the power of Christ. And also a sense of gratitude for what God had done in me. And by, by no means is he through with me. I've got so many areas now that I wish he was done with. I wish he would hurry this process up and I would be far more sanctified than I am now. There were some leaves that I collected years ago, put into a, 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 an album. They weren't just leaves from any old tree. There was a, leaves from a tree in which I went there for two consecutive summers to meet with the Lord in unique and special ways. And the Lord opened up the scriptures and spoke to me in a way that I, 
I just don't know that he had spoken to me before and before that point. I wonder what it would look like for us to have physical reminders and then to be able to share that with our children. My dad can tell you about an old wood-burning stove. My mom's got a pair of shoes. My brother has a necklace. There's other, what do you have that could serve as a tangible reminder of God's faithfulness? And do you know why we need that? Maybe you're radically different than I am, but I tend to forget about God's faithfulness when I see a river coming downstream. When I look at something that looks bigger than me, I like it when God gives me challenges that are not really challenges because I can overcome them without the help of the Holy Spirit. I like those a lot. But when I have something in front of me, there's no way I'm going to get past this. There's no way that we as a people are going to get past this. I don't like those as much. And I forget how faithful God has been all the way from the beginning of time up until now. And it's just good to have that reminder. Oh, yeah, that's right. If you don't currently keep a journal, consider keeping a journal. And just mark in there all the ways that God has been faithful to you. One of the best things that a lady in Atlanta, she is now with the Lord. I I, I honestly don't know how old she was when I met her. I met her in the mid-90s, and I think she was somewhere in her mid-90s at that point. And that woman had two columns in a journal. And this column was things that I'm praying for, and this is when these prayers are answered. And it went all the way back, hear me, to the 1960s. Things she was praying for on a national scale, things she was praying for on a state level, and even things she was praying just in her own personal life. And she would seek me out. And she would say, what do you want me to pray for? And I would tell her, and then she would pray. And then she demanded that I let her know when this prayer was answered so that she could write it down, a check mark, and celebrate. The first time that I went to her and told her, I, you're not going to believe it. That prayer was already answered. This is exactly her response. Good, that's how it should be. <laughs> she had so much confidence in God's goodness and faithfulness. Consider some sort of a tangible reminder because we as a people forget it's easy for us to see what's in front of us and wonder if God is going to be faithful. It's imperative that we see what's in front of us, look up and remember how faithful he is. He's going to be faithful. If you're younger, ask someone older about how they've experienced the faithfulness of God. If you're older, Tell someone younger about how you've experienced the faithfulness of God. Remember that God is in the business of turning even harlots' hearts towards himself. And so pray along those lines. Finally, in here, there's this renewing. Now, this won't take much explanation. When fear had spread through the land of Canaan, God gives them instructions, and he tells the men, um, to go and to, to be circumcised. Now, this is not a re-circumcision in the sense that we think of. This is the generation who had not yet been circumcised. They were to be circumcised in the process. And so go and do, and, and why did they do that? It was the removal of the flesh in a personal and painful way through a bloody manner that was to point us to the faithfulness of God. 
that is no longer necessary because Christ has shed his blood in a personal and painful way. But hear this, it was also the removal of flesh. It was the removal of flesh to remind us we are not to rely upon the power of the flesh, but we are to rely upon the power of the Spirit. And so they did. They were circumcised. In verses 10 through 12, notice that it is the last manna and it's the first Passover. The manna had been provided by God for 40 years, raining down bread from heaven. And now that they've entered into the land, they were able to eat of the produce of that particular land. And the day after they started eating of the produce of the land, the manna stopped. God's provision was no longer just something that was coming down just for that moment, just for that day. He was giving them great land. It was going to be rich in soil. They're going to have an abundance of stuff. But he closes with this mysterious story. Joshua makes his way, and then there's this individual who shows up. And Joshua looks at this dude who is awfully impressive looking, as though he can kick some serious tail. And so Joshua asks the question that every one of us would have asked. Uh, are you with us or are you with them? Now hear me, please hear me. There's no question whose side God was on. God was on the side of the Israelites. He had already told them this. He had already gone before them, etc. Joshua is asking this question to this mysterious person. And the response from the person is literally in the Hebrew, no. Are you on our side or are you on their side? No. Apparently I wasn't clear. It's either us or them. No. I'm always on my side. I'm always accomplishing what I want to accomplish. And he is so sovereign so powerful, so ingenious that he can even use evil people in the process to bring about what he wants. And so the question at times we ask for God, are you on our side? We're asking about this particular moment in time. Are you going to bless me in the way that I want to be blessed right now? God is always saying, no, I'm on my side. And sometimes the best thing is for you to see how I'm going to use other people so that you can come back and say, oh, God, would you just use me? Because it's not about your comfort. It's not about your prosperity. It's not about your elevation or mine. It's about his. So no, I'm on my side is what he says. The people of the world are not the enemy. The enemies, this is what the nation of Israel never seemed to grasp. Because as we get to the time in which Jesus is walking the earth, they were actually looking with disdain and condescension, etc., on those who needed Jesus the most. Circumcision was a reminder of God's promise. Passover was a reminder of God's protection. The encounter with the commander of the armies of the Lord was a reminder of God's preeminence. I am convinced that this person was the person of Jesus. 
There are other theologians who would say, I don't think that we should see that, but I'll tell you the driving reasons why I think it, reason why I think it is because this commander of the army of the Lord received the worship from Joshua. He did not say, get up. He received the worship. I think this is Jesus that was showing up beforehand. And I think the pre-incarnate Christ was leading the way saying, Joshua, you're going the right direction. But don't ever think that it ultimately is about you. I'll use you for as long as I want to use you. But it's ultimately about me.